if you want to live a good life, then just be true to yourself. No one can tell you who you are. The government can't define your identity. Your family doesn't know what you really want. The final say on your identity is you. And because you're the only one who can know who you are, you have the responsibility to figure it out. You can't rely on anybody else to do the hard work for you. So at the end of the day, you need to exploit explore yourself. So what that means is you need to try new things, new experiences, new adventures, and new pleasures. As you explore, ask yourself this question, what fits me? What works best for me? If I had to summarize this kind of life into one word, it would be authenticity. Be who you are. Don't be anybody else. Don't live a lie. You should be you. If you want to read an example of this kind of life, you can read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Eat, Pray, Love. In the middle of a personal crisis, she writes that she said to herself, I don't want to be married anymore, I don't want to live in this house anymore, and I don't want to have a baby with this guy anymore. And during this prayer, someone spoke to her. She claims it was not an Old Testament Hollywood Charlton Heston voice. She says, nor was it a voice telling me I must build a baseball field in my backyard. It was merely my own voice speaking from within my own self. It was my voice, perfectly wise, calm, and compassionate. Now, not all of us are like Elizabeth Gilbert. Not all of us get advances from our publishers before we go on funded trips to India. But all of us will hear at some point in our lives the gospel of Elizabeth Gilbert. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've been to this church or not, whether you, you know, grew up in Austin or grew up in California or New York, wherever you grow up in this country, you will hear at some point, be true to yourself. Whether it's from a movie from Hollywood or a show on Hulu, be true to yourself. Be authentic. Be who you are. But we've got to ask a question about that. Is that really a way to get a good life? Is being true to yourself all that it's promised to be? Last week, we started this series called The Abundant Life, and we're talking about what makes life good, right? If you're 100 years old and you're looking back on your life, how do you know if you lived a good life? How do you know if you flourished? If you're 18 years old and you're going to UT for the first time, how do you know what life you should pursue? And there's one answer to that question that we will hear a lot throughout our lives in this culture, which is be authentic, be who you are, be true to yourself. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about the appeal of that message. It appeals to me. I'm going to talk about the limits of that message. And then I'm going to talk about an alternative. So first, we've got to ask, why is this appealing? We're not going to just make fun of this idea and move along. We're going to ask, why, is it so, why does it feel so empowering to be told to be who you are? I think one of the most obvious answers is that we are sick and tired of being lied to. For the past 70 years, there is no American institution in our country that has survived the test of trust. The church has lied and covered up horrible abuses. 
The government has sent off countless soldiers to wars they knew were unwinnable. The media has become so polarized, they've become mouthpieces for political parties. We have been deceived. We have been lied to. And so I think when we want people to be authentic, I think we're responding to this. We want transparency. We want institutions that are accountable to standards. We just want people to be honest with us for once. I think another reason why authenticity is so appealing and so empowering is because we want our country to be just a little bit more civil. We know that we live in a very diverse country, and unless we want to be at each other's throats all the time, unless we want to distrust every next-door neighbor we have, we need some more neighborliness. And so you'd think, well, maybe authenticity could be the solution to that. If you can be authentic to your views and I can be authentic to mine, then we'll all get along. It seems at first glance, authenticity would be a great medicine to that sickness. I think just on a personal level, I'll, say, I'll speak for myself. Authenticity sometimes makes decisions a lot easier. I don't have to think about who others are. I don't have to think about others' concerns. I just have to be true to me. But despite the appeal, I think we've got to recognize the limits of authenticity. I'll start with a few relationships in my life that I think limit authenticity for the good. I am a dad to a six-month-old baby named Evelyn Connor East, and y'all, she is cute really, really cute. Allison could just hold her up for a second, and you would see it's as proof that she is cute. But here's the thing. I don't approve of her always being true to herself. My beautiful baby is very sad when she does not get what she wants, but that cannot go on forever. She is going to have to learn to not get what she wants. Anyone who is a parent or has been a parent knows this is a good thing. Is it authentic for you to make your son brush his teeth? No, but it is good. Is it authentic for you to make your daughter go to school? No, but it's good. This is the problem with authenticity. It bucks up against good parental authority, and it just doesn't work. I know that there are a lot of teachers in this room. I bet you've probably had an unruly kid in your class. Are you repressing his authenticity by sending him to the principal's office? If you grade a young woman's essay, poorly, are you repressing and preventing her from being true to herself? Come on. We know authenticity has these limits. And you might say, okay, you are using the most absurd examples to discount something good, and that may be fair, but I think even a relationship like marriage shows the limit of authenticity. I made vows to Allison that I would be her husband for better or for worse. If I go back on that vow, that means I've lied to Allison. So just because I have a genuine feeling, an authentic feeling, a sincere feeling, doesn't mean I can break those promises. Being true to yourself can hurt your marriage. You've probably experienced this in your life. Now, let's say you're willing to make those exceptions. Okay, Mitch, I get it. I get it. Per parents and teachers and marriages, I get how authenticity has its limits. But y'all, I think we need to go further with this. We need to ask ourselves, are we selective about who gets to be authentic? 
Because, y'all, it sounds really good in theory. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone, all normal people, got to be free to be authentic? But do we really want everyone to be authentic? I think we can think of a few individuals throughout human history who have been very authentic and have been very true to themselves and destroyed the world. Think of every dictator from the past hundred years. You don't want them to be authentic. I think what's hidden sometimes behind the message of authenticity is we, the good guys, can be true to ourselves, but them, the bad guys, cannot. Now, I know you may think, okay, this preacher is getting up here. He's attacking everybody else who believes in authenticity. It's so self-serving. But I actually want us as Christians in this room to accept that we act this way all the time. Ask yourself, have we as Christians pursued careers at the cost of our families? Have we sacrificed our commitment to church to get our kids into the best sports leagues or the best colleges? Have we as Christians whined about all the secular people in our culture and then lived identical lives to them? We may not call it being authentic, but you better believe we struggle with this. And I think this gets to the core issue of authenticity, and this is why I just don't think it works. The core issue of authenticity is sin. And, and I know you may not like that. I know you may have heard that word, maybe misused or abused. You may not be able to go here with me yet, but at some point you have to ask yourself, which part of me deserves authenticity? I've got good desires over here, bad desires over here, but I don't know which one is which. And when someone tells you, be true to yourself, you probably have asked, which part of myself? The good or the bad? This is why we read Romans chapter 7 this morning. I think it's such a beautiful description of the struggle of sin. I don't understand what I do, the apostle says. And what I want to do, I don't do. But the very thing I hate... I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, yes, I agree that the law is good, but as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it. It's sin living in me. I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me. It's in my sinful nature. I have this desire to do what is good, but I just can't carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that thing I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. It is sin living in me. The Apostle Paul puts this problem to us. He says, if you struggle with sin, authenticity is going to be really difficult. And again, I want to talk about sin for a second because I know it's not popular. The, the reason why Christians use this word, the reason why we're so serious about it is because we think it's true. It really describes our human condition well. God is like a doctor giving a difficult diagnosis. It may be tough to hear, but it's accurate. Humans are capable of incredible evil, and not just that, we are skilled at justifying our behavior, hiding our failures, and even when we have the best of intentions, we still manage to twist and ruin good stuff in the world, y'all. Sin is why we can't have nice things. It messes with our whole lives. I find it hard to believe that anyone in this room would ever say, Mitch, I have never intentionally done something I knew was wrong regardless of the impact it had on others. 
Mitch, I have never done something with good intentions that, the, that totally backfired on me and caused damage. I think if we're honest with ourselves, yes, none of us like hearing a doctor's diagnosis of illness, but God's diagnosis is spot on. We struggle with sin, and authentic sin is still sin. Now, here's the thing. What's the alternative, right? If you've, it, what's the alternative to authenticity? Because it kind of seems like I'm presenting two bad options, okay? You can either be a conformist on one side, act like someone you're not, and act like what others want you to be, or you can be authentic on the other side. You can be yourself and mess things up in life. So am I just presenting two bad options? I don't think so. I think that there is a way through that mess beyond those two options, and it requires that we turn our gaze outward rather than inward, because I think this is the big problem with authenticity. It turns the solution to be inside of you. Salvation is somewhere inside of me. That's what authenticity says. But our Christian faith says over and over again, you can't save yourself. Salvation comes from the outside. So the alternative to being true to you is being true to Christ. And I know that might sound cliche, right? The whole summary of this sermon is be true to Jesus. I really think it's important, though, and I think it can get us through this mess. First of all, when you're true to Jesus, you realize that you have a stable identity in him. When you're baptized, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are given a new identity, and you don't have to discover it. You don't have to rediscover it. You don't have to make it up out of thin air. It's just given to you by God. It's a reliable, consistent everyday identity. I am God's child. I didn't have to make it up yesterday. I don't have to make it up today. I don't have to make it up tomorrow. This is who I am. I am God's child. And then, I think being true to Jesus results in living a life according to the Holy Spirit, because this was the problem earlier, right? We talked about when you're trying to be authentic, you don't know which desires in your heart you should follow, but when you're a Christian, you turn your gaze outward to the desires of Christ. I want to obey him. I want to do what he wants, not what I want. Each week during this series, when we talk about abundant life, I just want to give an example of an alternative, a Christian alternative a real flesh-and-blood human being who lives this faith out, which is why I want to introduce you to this woman. Her name is Elizabeth. Okay, this woman is amazing. She was born in 1864, and at 20 years old, she married the Grand Duke Sergei of Russia. She entered into royalty. Her and her husband never had children of their own, but they became foster parents. They were beloved royalty, but in the early 1900s, there was this very intense cultural storm brewing called socialism, and the socialist and the Russian royalty did not like each other. They were arch enemies. So 21 years into their marriage, her husband, the Grand Duke Sergei, was assassinated by this social revol socialist revolutionary named Ivan, okay? This woman, married for 20 years, loses her husband to an assassin, and it only gets more wild from there because she publicly forgave Ivan. 
She didn't want to hold his sin against him. She would actually visit him in prison and say, you need to repent from your sin. You need to change. And he said, no, I want to be executed. When she publicly campaigned for him to be exonerated from capital punishment, she failed. And when she failed, she renounced her royal status, so she's not a princess anymore. And then on top of that, sold all of the jewels she had for being a princess and built a convent with the, the sale from all, that, all those jewels. It gets crazier. From there, she opened a hospital, a chapel, a pharmacy, and an orphanage. She would work in the Russian slums uh, after she renounced her royal status, okay? She did this for a dozen years of her life. And then it gets crazier because 12 years into being a nun, Vladimir Lenin orders the secret police to arrest this Elizabeth. She is exiled not once, but twice, because you know how scary nuns are. you got to exile them multiple times. They're such a big threat. Without a trial, Elizabeth and other prisoners were driven by the secret police to an abandoned iron mine with a pit that was 66 feet deep, okay? The secret police beat all of these prisoners and threw them into this 66-foot deep pit, expecting them to die. But then they realized they didn't die. They survived the fall. One of the soldiers named Vasily Ryabov claims that they survived the fall into the mine, which is when he took a grenade and tossed it in. He heard the explosion, and then he heard, and this is coming from one of the soldiers. He has no incentive to lie about this. He heard them singing a Christian hymn from the bottom of the pit. So he takes a second grenade, takes out the pin, tosses it down into the mine shaft. It explodes. The singing continues. The secret police had no idea how to kill these people, and so they put a bunch of brushwood on top of the shaft and set it on fire, and that's when the prisoners dies. Not one grenade, not two grenades, three attempts. And then, then they finally killed her. Okay. Let's talk about these two Elizabeths for a second. We've got Elizabeth Gilbert from the beginning, and we've got this princess-turned-nun-turned-miracle-worker Elizabeth. The first Elizabeth is very authentic, very true to herself. She is who she is. She does what she wants. The second Elizabeth is true to Christ. The second Elizabeth renounced her wealth, and the first got a really great book deal. The second Elizabeth has the ability to forgive her husband's assassin. The first Elizabeth abandoned the vows she made to her husband. The second Elizabeth worked for the poor in the slums. The first Elizabeth wrote a self-help book. Is this really a competition? Do we really think authenticity by itself produces great people? I don't think so. This story of Elizabeth's life is just so full and vibrant and beautiful. But the first Elizabeth, yes, it's authentic, but it's basic and it's boring and it's going to be forgotten in a matter of time. But the other Elizabeth, her story is mysterious and compelling. And the question for us is, what kind of life do you want? Which kind of Elizabeth do you want to be? Because authenticity to yourself, yes, it can produce a best-selling book. But it can't produce a saint. Authenticity to Jesus, 
caring about what he cares about, being true to him, that can make the second Elizabeth. So you're, if, if you're intrigued at all by that kind of life, if you want to be a little bit more like that second Elizabeth, I would say don't be true to yourself. And I know that's such a counterintuitive message, but we've got to turn our authenticity away from ourselves to obedience to Jesus. That's what can produce people like that second Elizabeth. And that's my prayer for each and every one of us, that we wouldn't focus our authenticity inward, that we would focus our faithfulness to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we we pray for your Holy Spirit to dwell in each and every one of us. Father, we hear this message over and over and over again to be authentic, to be true to ourselves. And it's so appealing, but we know its limits. We see its limits, and so it can't be the way we live our lives. It can't be our life's motto. It just doesn't work. Some of us may feel like that word sin goes too far, but I pray that you would convict us and show us the ways in our lives that we are sinful, that we continue to wrestle with our sinful desires. Help us to recognize that and see Christ's alternative, that we can turn our gaze towards him, that we can be true to him, faithful to him by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we ask for a deeper faithfulness in Jesus. This takes so much trust, and some of us may not feel like we have the ability to trust Jesus that much, to turn over our lives to him. Father, I pray that for all of us who may doubt him, who may feel far from him, that you, you would empower us to give everything to him, to make our lives defined by him. Father, I pray that you would produce more and more Christians like that second Elizabeth. Father, we see in her an, a little example of what Jesus is like. Renouncing her wealth, renouncing her status, serving the poor, dedicating her whole life to the least of these and even in the end becoming a martyr for her faith. Father, we want to be more like that. We want to be more like her because she was so much like Jesus. Father, we need your help. We cannot do this on our own strength or our own free will. We need you. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.